Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Our special guest tonight, we're going to go directly to her, Sam Sorbo. You know her well from radio, television, movies, etc. I'm going to have her say just a little bit about herself, her own biography, if she would, and then jump into an extremely critical topic, education. And she has a phrase called underground education, which I love. Sam, welcome to, the, welcome to the broadcast. You are the only person I know of who flew all night, arrived in Israel, barely got through customs, and is going live on this show it right now. fantastic. Hey, thank you so much for doing that. Tell a little bit more just about you, about yourself, about your husband, about your family, then jump right in to this important topic. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And um, yeah, it's kind of funky to to fly all night and then get hotel and set a quick set up your computer and your you know everything and get the Wi-Fi going and stuff. Um, but it's but that's the that's the way technology is these days. It makes it so easy. Um, and especially you know we we can be grateful to COVID for a few of these these uh, things that we've you know learned to adjust and and uh, that and. We can also be grateful to COVID for showing us what's been going on in our schools, which is partly why I am an education freedom advocate, but I've been doing this for over a decade. I have three almost grown children. My youngest is 16. Um, you probably know that I'm married to Kevin Sorbo, who played Hercules on the number one show in the world for seven years. And uh, so I'm, uh, and I met him because I'm an actress. And so um, we've gotten a couple films to, done together. And the, the last one was Let There Be Light, which did really well in the theaters. If you haven't seen Let There Be Light, it's a film I highly recommend. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at uh, the, the show of Jesus down in Branson, which is a sight and sound show. Uh, and they just, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It rivals anything on Broadway. I would say it would put Broadway to shame. They did such an amazing job. And the guy who plays Jesus is this tall guy from uh, New Jersey. And he came up to me after the show because we met with the cast after the show. And he said, I loved you and let there be light. I said, thank you very much. He said, no, you have to understand that that film really moved me. That film changed me. And I said, well, thank you. I, I actually co-wrote it. And he said, wow, no, I didn't realize that. Well, thank you very much for making the movie. So now I'm telling everybody that my movie actually changed Jesus. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> so yeah, so um, I'm just gonna turn off my notifications here. Uh, there we go. So I went from, well, okay. I went from acting, I stopped acting because my, fiance at that time, uh, Kevin, had three strokes and he needed caretaking. And so I walked away from my career to do that. And, um, and then years later, we had three kids and I started to go back to acting. And my toddler, Octavia, came up to me one day when I came back from an audition and said, no, 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 no. And I was like, what's that about? So I picked her up, put her on my hip, and she immediately turned to my name and said, bye-bye. And I realized that like when Kevin got ill, I faced a binary choice. I could choose family, my husband, and the future, or I could choose my career. That was a binary choice. And again, my daughter presented me with a binary choice. Either I'm important, in, in other words, her, or my career is important. And 
what I found through uh, a lot of sort of research and thought, frankly, is that we are not even taught in our schools that life is really about these binary choices. Don't allow the noise to come in and pollute the decision-making. And the part of the reason that I discovered that is because I've been advocating homeschooling because it is the secret sauce. It is the special thing. It, it preserves the family bonds. It is prescribed by God. It is biblical, okay? And they aren't accomplishing education in our schools. And that's becoming, you know, obviously much more evident lately, but that's been evident for a long time. Scores are down. Uh, we have problems with the teachers, kids are struggling in school, like that, that's been going on for quite a while. So what's our excuse? Our excuse is we come up with a lots of other sort of questions and problems around why should I make this decision? It's a binary choice. Either your child's education is important to you or it's not. And so what happened was people would constantly say, we would cover the education thing and I'd convince them that actually home-educated youth fare much better in life. That's why Harvard and Princeton and Yale are actively recruiting homeschoolers. Even while professors at Harvard say, we, we need to outlaw homeschooling, the universities themselves are recruiting homeschoolers because they tend to be out of the box thinking, well, it's no wonder they haven't been put in a box all their lives long, right? They're not institutionalized. But, but what would happen is we'd cover this ground with between me and this potential home educator, right? Somebody I'm trying to convert. <laughs> and then, the, then, then they, would, they would shift the focus and they would say, but what about socialization? What about socialization? I thought we were talking about education. If, if education is your primary concern, you should make a decision based on education, not on the other factors. Because what's happening in terms of education in our schools these days is now child abuse. So if the babysitter hits your child and you know that the babysitter hit your child, you don't go to the babysitter's mom and say, hey, your, your daughter hit my child, please tell her not to hit my child. You say very calmly to the babysitter, maybe, maybe calmly, maybe not, you're fired. I never need to see you again. And yet we have teachers in schools actively telling young people, you're 12, you're 13, you can make medical decisions for yourself. I think California just passed that, that 13 year olds can make, can make the decision to get a, a shot that they, that they, by the way, spend hours every day telling the kids that they really should get the shot, regardless of what their parents think. Now the, now the educators are taking the role from the parent, usurping their authority and telling young people, it's just between you and me. We'll keep a secret. Now we used to call that grooming. We used to call that child abuse. We, we used to call that the nefarious thing that it was. And now it's just called teaching. And, and, it's, and it's being generated by and supported by our teachers unions and our schools and our school boards. And so it's a binary choice. Either they want what's best for your child and you need to step out of the way as the parent, or you're the parent and you're gonna to go to bat for your child. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Continue. Continue. Okay. This is so critical. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just, ah. 
So, so I, so the more I thought about this and I did it, I did a TV show for Epic TV, which I highly encourage you to watch. If you're a young parent, if you're a grandparent, if you don't have kids yet, if you do have kids, watch the Epic TV show. It's called Schools Out with Sam Sorbo. It's still available. Um, I did 21 episodes of that. And during that time, I really delved into the mechanics of what we were seeing in our schools as of the, the COVID revelation. Oh, that's what I'm going to call that now, the COVID re revelation. Um, because we're seeing the abuse that is running rampant in our schools. Now, I used to say that it was child abuse to teach a child that evolution is truth and that they are nothing but a, a connection of happy accidents that they actually exist. Um, because, because that is abusive, to teach a child that they have no value and no meaning because they are just accidents of nature. Now, it's, now there's so much more to support the fact that they are abusive towards children between the masking for which there is no scientific support and the, um, and the, the lockdowns and the antisocial, and by the way, parents say, well, what about socialization? I'm like, well, look at it now, like now with COVID that you don't have an argument there. Even if you ever did, which you never did, there's no argument. So, so doing the TV show, what I realized is that our schools are now engaged in the opposite of education. So, I, how do I prove this? Well, first of all, the first thing you learn in school, in order to ask a question, what must you do? Come on, everybody, raise your hands, right? You have to raise your hand to ask a question. So the, so the, the real question to ask there is, what does that teach the child? And teach it viscerally, right? Because they are actually, they have to move in order to demonstrate that they, that they understand the lesson. And what it teaches the child is that in order to ask a question, in order to learn something that you want to learn, you have to wait your turn, you have to ask permission to ask a question, you need the teacher to give you answers, all of which is very binding. It's not freeing. Finally, you have to call attention to yourself, which is a deterrent for a lot of kids. So ultimately this lesson, this, this physically, embodied lesson actually devolves into a simple phrase. And that phrase is don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask, it's not your turn. Don't ask, uh, I'll get to you later. And it teaches the child to stop asking. Now, if we can agree that education is at the very least a quest for knowledge, what does that begin with? <laughs> It starts with a question. That's where we get the word quest from. <laughs> it's a search for knowledge. It's a search for truth, beauty, and goodness. It's actually a search for God. And what they're telling the children is don't ask. And then they say, failure's bad, right? Big, big red F on a sheet of paper, failure's bad. What is that lesson? Think about it. The lesson that failure is bad. And by the way, ask any ask any entrepreneur the secret to their success. And they will almost without hesitation say, well, I failed a lot, but I never gave up. Because failure just means you figured out one way not to get it done. In fact, Edison, Thomas Edison said, I didn't, what, what did he say? I only invent, I only, 
oh, it was, um, I had 10,000 fails to get it right. Cause you just kept trying. And thankfully now we, we all see the light, so to speak. <laughs> so, so the message that the school is sending the child is don't try because failure is bad. Whatever you do, don't try. Does that make sense? And then there's a third lesson. And the third lesson is what the students have actually learned themselves, what they're teaching themselves. And it is uh, embodied in the question. The number one question in the classroom today is, teacher, will this be on the exam? And the reason for that is the child doesn't want to have to know anything that he's not being forced to learn or forced to memorize, more appropriately forced to memorize. And so just tell me what's on the exam so that I know enough to regurgitate it. In fact, I interviewed a, a young man who's, he's a, he's a high school teacher. And he told me that they've gotten to the point now where they have so many special needs types of children in the classroom with their IEPs and their, their special requirements that the teachers are overburdened. They might have five different students who all have different requirements in their classroom. Many students are slow for whatever reason. They're a little bit they're a little bit slower than sort of your, your average student. And so the teacher is required to create multiple choice questions only for those students. Well, do you think this, the teacher is gonna go the extra yard and, and do essay questions for the other students? No, you know, no, she'll just make the whole exam multiple choice. And it, by the way, that's easier for the teacher, but what suffers is the overall education. And that's, and that's unfortunate. So um, let's see. So we have don't ask, don't try, and don't think. That's the final lesson. Teacher, will this be on the exam is illustrative of the idea that the children don't want to have to think and that the, that the school basically puts them on this path. And that's why I say it's at this point, it's simply anti-education. But it's been this way, what, what people don't understand is it's been this way for so long because when they took the Bible out of school, they took, they took morality out of school. They took, they took the good versus the evil out. And so now we have children who can't discern between good and evil. And evil is so prevalent, evil's having a field day and telling them that what is evil is good. And so, I mean, it's, it, it's child abuse. It's, it's abusive to the child because the child, look, your children are a gift from God. We believe that because we believe the Bible. Children are a gift from God. Well, if you give me a gift and I turn around and give it to somebody else to open, what must God think of the gifts that he bestows upon us? So I'm on a little bit of a crusade to get people to recognize that their children are more precious than anything that the school can possibly offer them. And I will go so far as to say that we have all been school abused because we all went through school and we've all been uh, denied parents because we were all schooled instead of parented. And that's not, that's not a, uh, an indictment of parents, by the way. It's an indictment of the system that seeks to form a wedge between the child and the parent. And it does form a wedge between the child and the parent because when you take the child out of the home for seven and a half hours a day, that forms a wedge. 
It distances the child from the parent. The Bible's very clear on this. The Bible indicates that it is the parent's responsibility to educate the child. Full stop. In two instances, I believe the Bible references grandparents feeding into the education of their grandchildren. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, find a good school for your child. Make sure the government educates your child. Quite the contrary. So I am on a little bit of a crusade to get people to pull their kids out of our school system. And to that end, I'm producing a conference that's happening in Port St. Lucie, Florida, June 24 and 25. So it's the evening of the 24th, which is a Friday and all day Saturday. And it's called the Playbook for Home Learning Conference. And what you're gonna get when you come to the conference is a playbook, which is like a workbook, like a notebook workbook that you'll have during the conference to, to fill in blanks, to take notes, to, to make remarks in so that when you leave the conference, you feel more equipped because the number one reason that parents don't want to educate their children is they feel ill-equipped. Why do you suppose it is they feel ill-equipped to educate their children? Do you think it's because they've been taught that somewhere? Yes, they've been taught that they're incapable by the schools. That gives the schools a little bit of job security. You can't do that. You didn't get an A in that class. You never took that class. What did the experts say about your ability to teach your child? Now, mind you, parents teach their children to tie their shoes, to brush their teeth, to eat properly, hold a knife and fork, get dressed, all of that stuff before the age of five. And then all of a sudden at five, nope, you're done. Your job is done as a parent. You better go drop your child off with the expert. Mind you, you've never met that expert. You haven't vetted them. You have no idea who they are. They could be the pedophile they caught up in Seattle a while back who put cameras in the children's bathroom so he could record the children. You could be that guy. And when they finally, and by the way, they didn't even get him on that. They, they busted him because of a drug charge. And then they found all of the pornography, the child porn, or, or what I term as um, crime scene photos with children. Um, and he was a public school teacher. And you have no idea who your teachers are, by and large. I'm not saying everybody, because I know that there are people who have like little country schools or whatever, and they know their teachers, and that's great. But I will say that the system is still geared against education. Because when you teach a child, that learning comes from a teacher, not from you as the parent, okay? So you're, you've already undermined your authority in the house. So don't come crying when your child starts questioning your authority. You're the one who started questioning your own authority when you sent them off to school. But when they learn that there's a teacher who has all the answers and that all they have to do is wait patiently until they raise their hand to ask a question and maybe they'll get the answer. And if the answer's wrong, they, they conform their view to fit the answer, even if it's wrong, because they've learned that that's the proper person, that's the expert to trust, right? All education goes off the rails. That's not education. That's teaching a child what to think. And I, I even just tweeted this. It's not that they don't teach how to think and they teach what to think. 
it's actually that they teach not to think because the, the default now is, I don't know how to do that. I better go find somebody who does. And the default used to be, cause you know, we're America. The default used to be, I'm gonna do that myself. I'm gonna figure out how to get it done. Holy smokes, we beat the, the largest Navy and, and fighting force in the world at the time with a ragtag bunch of farmers with pitchforks, basically. We just figured out how to get it done. But we're not, that's not who we are anymore because we've been so educated. And I, for those of you just listening, I'm putting educated in quotes because we're not educated, we've been schooled. So if you think that you're incapable of educating your, your own children, you've, you haven't been educated, you've been schooled. And then I would have to ask you why you would consign your children to that same system that turned out the likes of you. Wow, that's, that's powerful. I, I was driving down the street in 1980, about 81, 82, in Oklahoma City, actually a suburb called Bethany. And uh, in my little Malibu tan station wagon, uh, I, I was listening to James Dobson interview Raymond Moore. Raymond Moore was the first advocate ever, ever, that I know of for homeschooling. And it was earth shaking to hear about homeschooling. Nobody I knew was homeschooling. That was a brand new phenomenon. And he described it in those few moments as I, I remember right where I was driving, everything he said made sense. Now I'm an educated man. I have three masters and a PhD. So I know my the ropes academically and I had respect for the academic process. And I grew up in a home of a Kansas farmer. My dad had enormous respect for teachers. Uh, he just, he, he really revered teachers. He was a godly man and he revered teachers. But as I listened to this discussion by Raymond Moore, everything he said made sense. We had one child. I was the first of four adopted children, my late wife and I, uh, four, four adopted children. This is the first of four. I thought, well, wait a minute. How do how, how we go about this? I know what I'm going to do. And guess what I did wrong? I have a very good friend who's the superintendent of the schools. So I went to him to ask his advice about this, how to start homeschooling. Well, you can imagine what he told me. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing to do. But I <laughs> It was all brand new. You went so to I, the enemy. Wait a minute. <laughs> this can't be right. So a year passed. I ordered Raymond Moore's book. And I remember one footnote, a footnote buried in the end notes, buried in the back of the book. It said the reason we start schooling at age five or six is not because there's any evidence that the child is prepared to sit in rows of chairs and sit for hours a day, particularly young boys. It's not because of that. It's only because people lobbied Congress to start at that age so that women could go to work and not be at home taking care of their That was the rationale legislatively. And then he went on to explain that footnote that young, young girls could start formal education a little bit earlier than boys. And boys don't miss out on a thing. If they don't start till nine or 10, they immediately catch up they just are later in their development now that was in that footnote that so riveted me so i went and pursued i said we're going to start homeschooling my wife was fiercely committed to the notion as well and we did at the time we didn't know anybody and at, at that time where we were living we moved to texas if you walk down the street during the day with your child not in school you could be arrested for truancy and so we had to be very careful because we didn't know other people. then eventually homeschool network just exploded and then we got networked together and the sports and the athletics and the 
science fairs and, and, and the whole thing. And here's what I discovered about homeschooling. Well, we loved homeschooling. We loved it because it taught us what my dad used to say is by all things, learn the joy of learning. Education formally is to teach you the joy of learning. So that when you get out of formal education structure, you will be on a constant joy of learning process. And what homeschool taught us as parents, my late wife and I, was that every, we sat down to watch the news and I would turn that event into a homeschool experience. I see that Republican Senator, let me tell you about him. Oh, oh well, well, see that, see that Grand Canyon, the story of the Grand Canyon? Let me tell you about the Grand Canyon. And so everything became so much fun to us as a family. And that's why I would contend everybody is way more qualified to be their homeschool educator than what they think because they can take every experience and turning it into a joy of learning experience that causes the child wants to continue on that the rest of their lives. Any comment? Yeah, I, I second that and I'll go, I'll go one step further. And that is that we want the child, we want to teach the child how to teach him or herself. And that is the joy of learning for, for, for a lifetime, right? So the idea that you need to know everything is actually anathema to that. The best thing is if you don't know it, and then you can show the child how to learn it because you will learn it in front of them and show them how you go about learning it. And so the idea that you feel incompetent, I'm like, perfect. You are the perfect candidate to become a home learning parent. That's, I mean, it, it really, and that's what I'm doing with the conference is I'm, I'm basically flipping the entire narrative. What about curriculum? It's not about the curricula, right? It's not, it's not at all what you think it is because what they are doing in the schools is akin to slavery. They're putting shackles on the child when capable. So they've shackled you. And I'm breaking those, I'm breaking those chains for people. And I can't tell you the number of people who've come to me after, after hearing me speak or at, you know, at some event or whatever, and they come up to me years later and they say, you know, we heard you three years ago. This just happened the other day. We heard you three years ago. And the, literally the next day we took our daughter out of school and it's been the best decision we ever made. We're so grateful. So, so what, what's happened is the school has convinced you that they have resources that you lack and that you need them and they're wrong. So the question is, what are you sacrificing when you drop your child off? And your answer is, I never really thought about it. I just thought I was getting something. I just thought I was getting resources for my child that I don't have. But in fact, you're sacrificing your relationship with that child. You're sacrificing, you're sacrificing the greatest love story of your life by dropping your child off with some other adults you barely know to mold and shape. I want you to tell the dates of the conference. And then the city in, in Florida uh, is not a city I'm immediately familiar with. So say where, where that city, where would they fly into to go to your conference and give the dates and the information and the various speakers. Yeah, sure. So Port St. Lucie is just north of West Palm Beach and it is Florida, June 
24 and 25. And by the way, all the information is just available on my website, samsorbo.com. I want to encourage people, if you're still on the fence, if you're a committed homeschooler, if, you, if you're new, uh, if you're anywhere on this broad spectrum of, of parents we have, or even if you're not a parent and you're just interested, I've formed an, uh, the underground education community, which you alluded to initially. Uh, it's an online community for people to exchange information and resources, ask questions, get their questions answered. Um, just within a community of people who are seeking to take charge of their children's education. And I put it that way because we can see that there are nefarious elements out there that are trying to wrest the control of our children from us. Uh, most recently, President Biden told a room full of teachers, when the kids are in your classroom, they're your kids. They don't belong to the parents anymore. I, I don't know about you, but I find that very, very disturbing. And if that's coming from the president of the United States and the teachers are applauding it and happy about it, then I have a problem with the teachers too. Like, and, and by the way, teachers, I highly recommend you get out of the schools and start offering to help educate other people's children, hang out your own shingle. Let's make this a, a, an entrepreneurial endeavor because education doesn't come one size fits all and it shouldn't. And of course, that's what the schools are trying to make it into. Um, and the unions are, are disserving the teachers right now. So, I mean, there's, it's a big nut to crack. I'm just, I'm focused with Playbook for Home Learning on empowering parents so that they leave the conference thinking, well, I can do this. I really can. And then when they leave and they have the playbook, they can go on the underground education community and talk with other people and have that that camaraderie, that support network, if you will. Um, it's, it's not that hard and it's great to do it in community. I, I started in community myself, so I know how valuable that is. But before I let you go, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, my oldest wanted to be an actor. I've got that covered, I'm an actress. My second was an engineer, very much engineering brain. And I was like, okay, I got that dialed in because I went to college for engineering. Um, and then my third's an artist, my daughter's an artist, and she's very much an artist. She's been drawing since she was five years old. She, she draws every day. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram. Uh, she's, she's a tremendous artist. She has a gift that I can't comprehend because I'm a mathematician. I don't comprehend it. And I recognized it and I, I hit my knees because I was like, God, my first one I covered, my second one got covered, but this third one, I think you made a mistake because I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to teach this, right? Because I grew up in the system of education that, that told me that everyone needs a teacher and that the teacher is the expert. And so I was still buying into that five years ago, longer, no, five years ago. Uh, and I was on the phone with somebody and she said, you know, if, if she's an artist, because I was talking to everybody, how do I teach this? What am I supposed to do now? And she said, well, if she's an artist and she draws the human, if she draws human beings, maybe she should take an anatomy class. And I was like, oh, bingo. Now I have the model, right? It's the teacher student model. So I ran up to her room and I said, let's find you a, a, an, an anatomy class so that you'll have a teacher and I'll just hire it out to somebody, right? 
And she looked at me with a little bit of pity. <laughs> she goes, oh, mom, she's 11 years old. So, so it was, yeah, it was about five years ago. Um, she pulls out her sketchbook and she shows me a double page spread of drawings of the interior of the human knee in various positions. And I was just like, oh, so you're way ahead of me on this. Yes, because when you unleash the natural creativity of the child, they teach themselves. And with everything that's available online, she was going on YouTube and finding other artists and watching what they were doing or looking at anatomy classes online, you know, anatomical whatever on YouTube and teaching herself. And we ought to have a little bit more faith. God didn't create us to go to school. <laughs> he created the world to be our school. Uh, your, your reference to Joe Biden and what he said about the children in the classroom being your children, it, I think is one of the most offensive statements. He's made some pretty offensive statements, but this probably is the peak of the mountain in terms of offensiveness, that he would speak of the children in that respect and be so dishonoring of the parents of America. Uh, Senator Phil Graham from Texas uh, years ago, many years ago, when I lived in Texas, he was talking about a conversation he was having with a li liberal left-wing bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., and this liberal left-winger said, well, we care about your children as much as you do as the parent. And Phil said, really? Kids' names. And then ended the conversation right there. The bureaucrat <laughs> couldn't name the kids. Now, he said something very fascinating. Before we let you go, uh, you said, you said, we know a I know a lot of godly teachers that are in a very ungodly system. And you said something very fascinating about them becoming entrepreneurs, hanging out their shingle and, and start working with the homeschool community. Say a little bit more about that. And then if you would tell the other, I think you have several speakers at your upcoming conference, June 24, 25 in, in Florida at samsorbo.com. Sam you can sign up for it. So uh, talk a little more about the teachers and then tell who the other speakers are. So I'm just encouraging the teachers because I know that they, there are a lot of great teachers out there who feel trapped. Um, I would encourage them to come to my conference because I want them to learn a different way to think about education. Um, in fact, the tagline of the conference is educate differently because we're not educating right now. We're, we're schooling and we're training. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of workforce, um, workforce participation, what is it? workforce uh it's it's the government's basically decree that you know some children will be herded into this field because we need more of those things in the in the workforce and some children will be herded into the stem because we need more stem in the workforce um, but in any it, any way you slice it you're 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 cutting yourself off at the knees because you're discouraging creativity when you put your child into an institution full stop so i was just encouraging teachers to look for other solutions and it's hard to do when you've been taught there's only one way and that's their way, you know what I mean? But, but the truth is out there, the truth is that there's, there are different ways to get this done. And so the idea was if, if you are a teacher, there are opportunities right now where parents are at their wits end, they don't know what to do and you can bring a, a beacon of hope into their lives and, and do have the influence that you'd like to have on young children um, because I understand that calling. I understand the calling that you, you want to feed into these young people and encourage them. Um, so that's what I'll say about teachers. The speakers that I have at my conference, I've got Michelle Howard. She's an expert on, 
on older style books and why we study classics. And she has uh, what she calls the living library. She has uh, several campuses where she basically collates um, or accumulates older books. Uh, what they've done to the reading books for children is an abomination. That's why we're seeing a lot of porn in the classrooms these days. Um, in fact, just recently, there was a parent who was reading the book for the school board that was deemed appropriate for, I think it was fifth graders, and they made her stop because it was too pornographic. Yeah. But it's allowed in the schools. And then in defense, the school said, well, we only have one copy. <laughs> it's like, they don't even deny it anymore. Anyway, um, so so Michelle's speaking, Tina Marie Griffin is speaking. She's the counterculture mom. Her husband and she uh, homeschool their kids. And so he will also be speaking. Um, Alex Newman is speaking. He's the co-writer for a book called Crimes of the Educators. And he speaks uh, internationally, actually, on all sorts of topics. Of course, we're going to be talking about education. Um, and then um, my son is also presenting. So we're running at the same time, and I, I forgot to mention this, we're running a teen conference at the same time on the Friday evening, just on Friday evening, uh, because it's one thing to convince the parents, but often when they have teenagers, parents sadly are afraid of their teenagers and they don't know how to handle them. And so they, teens need convincing because everything that they know is school and they'll miss their friends. And what about socialization? Da, 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 da. Um, but a lot of kids as teens do feel like they are smarter than their teachers and they don't like being talked down to, nor should they be. So the idea is we're running the teen, the teen version of the conference to convince them that they can take autonomy, take education into their own hands and pursue the things that they find interesting because that's really the most important thing. We are gifted with innate curiosity that the school seeks to stifle. No, it's math time now. We aren't doing reading. So stop talking about that book, Matthew, right? You have to channel and become more robotic in an institution that is organized that way. And by the way, move at the sound of a bell, okay? Instead, what I'm saying is you can empower the child to figure out what their gifting is and pursue that while you are guiding them on basic knowledge, right? History is very important. I'm not saying throw history out because the kids won't find it interesting. I'm saying the schools purposely make history uninteresting so the kids don't want to learn it. When you start reading history, you start to understand it's just really good stories. Which, by the way, I don't know why Christians would leave their children in a system that does not include the Bible. If you are a Christian and you value the Bible, why would you say to a child, they know everything, they don't do the Bible, but they know everything except the Bible, when the Bible is the basis for everything, according to you, because you're a Christian. So it's a binary choice. Either they... Either they believe in truth, the Bible, or they don't, in which case, why would you waste any time with them? And I know, I know that, you know, parents are worried about, well, what about a career? Okay, let me see. I, I, I want to I conclude, and it's hard because there's so much to say. But I will say this. The school seeks college prep and career readiness as their highest goal. And I'll just shortcut it for you. That, de that devolves into 
money. That's all that is. College prep and career readiness is you need to go make money. And, and frankly, you need to go make a lot of money so you can pay us back. That's what that is, right? It's a, they're basically a loan shark. So imagine that they don't counsel you not to take out loans. I don't know, you, you know, make, makes sense to me. So if that's their highest goal, you have, to, you have to ask yourself, what is your highest goal for your child? Is it money? I, I would hope not. In which case, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for from an educational system, a school system that says money is the highest virtue? You literally, I'm taking that option off the table. But I am offering you an even better one. I'm offering you the the one, the solution, the God-ordained choice. And so come to Playbook for Home Learning and we'll talk more. Thank you. Thank you so much. As we cap off, I, I performed the wedding a few days ago of, uh, uh, for one of the members of the Bates family, the TV show, Bringing Up Bates. They have 19 children. And so I performed Lawson Bates and Tiffany Espeson's wedding. And I met the, I knew Tiffany real well. She worked for us at Wellverse for so long. But we, I met the Bates, whole Bates family at that occasion. And it, it was stunning how confident every member of the family was. They're all homeschooled. Their confidence. I mean, all the way down to the seventh grader who greeted us. She was so, her leadership skills were so pronounced. I just sat there and watched her with fascination. And I said, are you homeschooled? She said, oh, certainly. I said, that's very good. She said, oh, yes, it's the best. Thank you. She just was so confident. And, and the one who's, who's, who's taping this show right now for us, uh, Tristan Tang. Tristan, come on, if you would. I, I taught, the reason he's with Wellverse is I was teaching a college class, a special college created, a tiny college created by a woman who believes what you believe, the Socratic method of allowing the students to question and, 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 and a whole method of learning that's so contrary to uh, much of education. And I immediately, in that school, when I was teaching the class, I immediately picked out in, in nanoseconds those who, who were the most, who had the most wattage in the upper story very quickly. And to the person, every one of them were homeschooled. Their confidence, their way of probing questions, their way of processing <laughs> information, it, 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 they rose to the top in nanoseconds. I didn't know at the time that they were all homeschooled, but I found out that those, and, and, and Tristan was the top, top of, the, of the mountain. And so he's, he's on here right now. Tristan, thank you for uh, taping this with our special friend. Uh, Sam Sorbo, you, you inspire us. You're a blessing. SamSorbo.com, a powerful conference, June 24, 25. And by the way, she's going to be a speaker. Sam's going to be a speaker at the Future Conference, July 20, 21, 22 in Washington, D.C. Go to wellversedworld.org, slide down, click on Future Conference. You'll find the information there. Thank you so much. We're going to go to prayer. Oh, you want to share something? I prayer do. Prayer? I said this is, not, this is not insignificant that Sam Sorbo is teaching us from Jerusalem because here also where, where Jesus was educated, it was by his family, by his, um, by the rabbis and, and by the family members, so much so that by the age 10, a Jewish child had memorized the entire first books of the Bible, memorized the Torah, including Leviticus. It was foundational. And so this developed their mind as well um, in, in thought and pattern and why they excel even to today as 
as a nation with so many um, awards and advances and, and high careers. So we have overlooked many, many of the biblical systems that have um, led and brought up the greatest leaders, including our own Messiah, Jesus, based on uh, the knowledge of the word of God as foundational memorizing of scripture to all their education. So we're, we're so grateful that our, our organization is well-versed based on Ezra and Nehemiah who returned to Jerusalem and brought the scriptures back to the people as a foundation for their biblical governance. Pray over Sam, yes. over her time in Israel yes. and over her conference. Thank you, Father, that uh, Sam, Sam is there. Um, her name even comes from the name Samuel, Samantha, that God hears, he lists, um, she listens, she hears the voice of the Lord. We thank you for a prophetic call upon her life even more that the anointing that was on Israel's greatest prophet Samuel will descend upon her while she's in Jerusalem. Lord, that you will instruct her to instruct the parents of this generation to raise their children in all excellence and godliness and knowledge of you, Father, preparing for your return. We thank you, Father, she'll even um, pick up and restore ancient keys, ancient meth methods that have been hidden from us in modern times, God, replaced by alternate systems and ways apart from your ways and restore us back to true counsel, wisdom, understanding, might, um, and fear of the Lord. Thank you for anointing her in the Holy Spirit this special season as we approach the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot once again in Yeshua's name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.